Namaste dear beautiful hearts I hope that you are feeling great and I thank you from the center of my heart if you are managing to listen to and understand my ideas and most importantly to breathe in the love light and universal harmony I seek to share with you with all my heart through this project Today I will talk about Odin the viking god of war and poetry and about the poetic edda the most ancient collection of nordic poetry in the previous episode i told you about the seven chakras of our beautiful planet earth while pursuing my meditation practice and developing what i termed my dialectic on freedom i read several books of ancient scriptures from several different cultures around the world because i knew that hearing voices was a phenomenon that had been attributed to many significant historic figures like saints and prophets who had had to struggle against demons to achieve inner peace and share the wisdom of their lessons about transcendence of obstacles in their spiritual contemplation and revolution The story of Saint Anthony of Egypt called the father of Christian monasticism who lived from 251 to 356 Christian era appeared as a good example to follow Since the voice I was hearing was to me a psychic attack by a demon I understood that I also needed to cultivate and use the purity and strength of my faith in god and love for jesus to really understand how to defend myself i did manage to live like a laic or secular monastic for 6 years of my life with very little contact with anyone except my ex-husband after our separation sadly because of the confusion and pressure from the stigma of schizophrenia and my determination at finding a cure free of antipsychotics during those 6 years i meditated prayed studied fasted deeply engaged in meditation which i wrote about in my poetry expressed in my drawings paintings and harp playing to appease my heart and elevate my vibrational frequency and defend myself against the voices and chaos that was seeking to disturb and destroy my inner peace and harmony immersed in a total inner and outer spiritual contemplation coupled with a dilettante study of botanics to truly understand energy intake like a plant or a flower I spent my time studying, enjoying and communing with nature and the various plants present in the woodland of Le Domaine Saint-Paul along the lake where I spent most of my time during the summers in my neighborhood fittingly called Nan's Island at that time. Cultivating the inner garden of your creativity in my case artistic is a great way to learn to better channel your energy.
using your energy with increasing mindfulness helps to understand how mental or spiritual blockages prevent your breath of life and energy from flowing freely and harmoniously in joyful coordination with the whole your guide and protection with respect to spiritual ascension and physical evolution just in breathing and channeling all your strengths through your breath of life you become better acquainted with all your subtle bodies which are the first targets of psychic attacks it happens in your consciousness first the closer you study the flow of your breath of life the more you realize how hypersensitive it is like a fire inside of your heart fanned by the state of your consciousness causing all your emotions and feelings you can use this sensibility to increase your psychic awareness discernment and lucidity the symbolism of the archer arjuna is very important in the bhagavad gita and in buddhism as a metaphor of spiritual clarity comparable to the trajectory of the straightest fastest arrow always able to reach the center of the enemy's target because it is shot right from your own center thanks to your inner light guiding your spiritual direction on the straightest path this is why meditation enables you to remain centered and calmer at all times because your inner or third eye becomes more aware of the behavioral patterns of the totality of your energy especially in confrontation with disturbances and nightmares giving you stability from the awareness of your link to the whole a link we all enjoy in our heart centers linked together universally speaking through the flower of life and the lotus flower is another beautiful buddhist symbol representing the heart and soul of the meditation practitioner when you have reached a state of inner harmony when you have learned to balance and align your chakras making them more receptive to cosmic energy and making your body healthier stronger more resilient and simply more happy to be alive therefore a healthy chakra system receptive to all the cosmic energy intended for you and only you enables the lotus flower of your heart and soul to blossom harmoniously through your meditation on and receptivity to universal love which energizes and nourishes your body like light and water nourish nature and this is also the ultimate spiritual protection Prince Harry has a wonderful program about mental health on Apple TV called The Me You Can't See. And he says that the problem has to be treated at the source because there is no health without mental health. He is right. So after reading the Holy Bible, I read a more detailed version of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a Sanskrit word for the song of god written in the second half of the first millennium before christian era 
and which is considered to be one of the holy scriptures of Hinduism. I also read the Holy Quran, a book entitled Les Mystères de la Kabbalah, The Mysteries of the Kabbalah, in English, the Tibetan and Egyptian books of the dead. I also studied Native American spirituality, and later my ex-husband lent me his copy of the Tao Te Ching, written by the Chinese philosophers Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu. But one of my very favorites is the Tao of Pu, written by Benjamin Hoff, also a present from my ex-husband Nicola. Written in 1982, the Tao of Pu is a book intended as an introduction to the Eastern belief system of Taoism for Westerners. It allegorically employs the fictional characters of Alan Alexander Mills' Winnie the Pooh stories to explain the basic principles of philosophical Taoism. The book starts with a description of the Vinegar Tasters, which is a painting portraying the three great Eastern thinkers, Confucius, the Buddha, and Lao Tzu, over a vat of vinegar each tasting the vinegar of life. Confucius finds it sour, the Buddha finds it bitter, but Lao Tzu, the traditional founder of Taoism, finds it satisfying. Then the story unfolds, explaining this analogy. Hoff presents Winnie the Pooh and his friends from Alan Alexander Mill's stories as characters that interact with him while he writes the Tao of Pooh, but also quotes excerpts of their tales from Mill's actual books, Winnie the Pooh and the House at Pooh Corner, in order to exemplify his points to the reader and the characters. Hoff uses many of Mill's characters to symbolize ideas that differ from or accentuate Taoist tenets. Winnie the Pooh himself, for example, personifies the principles of Wu Wei, the Taoist concept of effortless doing and the principle of Pu, the concept of being open to but unburdened by experience. And it is also a metaphor for natural human nature. Wu Wei is a concept literally meaning inexertion, inaction or effortless action. Wu Wei emerged in the spring and autumn period from Confucianism to become an important concept in Chinese statecraft and Taoism and was most commonly used to refer to an ideal form of government, including the behavior of the emperor. Describing a state of unconflicting personal harmony, free-flowing spontaneity and savoir-faire, it generally also denotes a state of spirit or mind and in Confucianism expresses conventional morality. Pu is a Chinese word meaning unworked wood, inherent quality or simple, an early Taoist metaphor for the natural state of humanity. It is related to the Taoist keyword Tsiran, literally meaning of its own, natural or spontaneous. In contrast to the simplicity, nonchalance and insouciance of Winnie the Pooh, Benjamin Hoff emphasized in the Tao of Pooh 
that characters like owl and rabbit overcomplicate problems, often overthinking to the point of confusion. And Eeyore pessimistically complains and frets about existence, unable to just be. On the other hand, Benjamin Hoff's appreciation of Pooh's simple-minded nature, unsophisticated worldview and instinctive problem-solving methods is representative of the Taoist philosophical foundation. The book also incorporates translated excerpts from various prominent Taoist texts from authors such as Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu. The Poetic Edda My energy level started decreasing while the voices were increasing when I found myself alone and decided to leave as a secular monastic to take better control of my energy since my marriage had ended because I obviously wasn't totally in control. My meditation then led me to the poetic Edda. One thing that I had always enjoyed as early as I could remember and without questioning its origin was a constant supply of the most fiery and self-protective child energy. And when I started feeling tired from hearing voices, I instinctively took refuge in the truly wonderful, illuminating and energizing wisdom of the Poetic Edda. The Poetic Edda is a collection of old Icelandic poetry written in stories about the Norse gods and heroes. A treasure of mythic and spiritual verse, it is the most important text for the study of Northern mythology and holds a very important place in Nordic culture, literature, and heritage. Contained in two 13th century books commonly distinguished as, commonly distinguished as the Prose or Younger Edda and the Poetic or Elder Edda, it is the fullest and most detailed source for modern knowledge of Germanic mythology. Its tales of heroic battles, strife and death form a repository in poetic form of Norse mythology and heroic law, embodying both the ethical views and the cultural life of the North during the late pagan and early Christian times. It is one of the few literary sources that provide a clear and straight path into the universe of the Viking Age consciousness. This amazing text from a 13th century Icelandic manuscript are of huge historical, mythological and literary importance, containing most of the information that survives today about the gods and heroes of pre-Christian Scandinavians and their unique vision of the beginning and end of the world through the telling of the extraordinary battles they waged against horrible giants and monsters and of their extraordinary strengths, invincibility, and unrivaled stoicism. The poetry is sometimes called Edaic and falls into two sections, heroic lays, which broadly speaking deal with the world of mortals, and mythological lays, which deal with the world of the gods. Along with Snorri Sturluson's prose Edda, the poetic Edda from the early 19th century onwards 
has had a powerful influence on later Scandinavian literatures, not merely through the stories it contains, but through the visionary force and dramatic quality of many of the poems. It also became an inspiring model for many later innovations in poetic meter, particularly in the Nordic languages. The Prose Edda The Prose Edda was written by the Icelandic chieftain, poet and historian Snorri Sturluson, probably in 1222 or 1223. It is a textbook on poetics intended to instruct young poets in the difficult meters of the, of the early Icelandic scouts, court poets, and to provide to the Christian age an understanding of the mythological subjects treated or alluded to in early poetry. It consists of a prologue and three parts. Two of the sections, Skaldska Parmal, the language of poetry, dealing with the elaborate riddle-like kennings and circumlocutions of the skalds, and Hatatal, a catalogue of meters, giving examples of 102 meters known to Snorri, are of interest chiefly to specialists in ancient Norse and Germanic literature. The remaining section, Gilfa Ginning, the beguiling of Gilfi, is of interest to the general reader. In the form of a dialogue, it describes the visit of Gilfi, a king of the Swiss, to Asgard, the citadel of the gods. In answer to his questions, the gods tell Gilfi the Norse myths about the beginning of the world, the adventures of the gods, and the fate in store for all in the battle of Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods. The tales are told with dramatic artistry, charm, and a great sense of humor. The Poetic Edda The Poetic Edda is a later manuscript dating from the second half of the 13th century but containing older materials, hence its alternative title, the Elder Edda. It is a collection of mythological and heroic poems of unknown authorship composed over a long period, AD 800 to 1100. They are usually dramatic dialogues in a terse, simple, archaic style that is very different from the artful poetry of the skalds. The mythological cycle is introduced by Voluspa, Sibyl's prophecy, a sweeping cosmogonic myth that reviews in flashing scenes the history of the gods, men and dwarfs, from the birth of the world to the battle of Ragnarok. It is followed by Havamal, saying of the High One, a group of disconnected, fragmentary, didactic poems that sum up the wisdom of the wizard warrior god, Odin. The latter part contains the story of how Odin acquired the magical power of the runes, sacred Scandinavian alphabet also known as Futak, by hanging himself from a tree and suffering hunger and thirst for nine nights. The poem ends with a list of magical charms. One of the finest mythological poems is the humorous Trimskvida, Lay of Trim, which tells how the giant Trim steals the hammer of the thunder god Thor and demands the goddess Freya in marriage for its, for its return. Thor himself journeys to Trim, 
disguised as a bride, and the humor derives from the bride's astonishing manners at the wedding feast, where she eats an ox and eight salmons and drinks three vessels of mead. The second half of the poetic Edda contains lays about the Germanic heroes, except for the Volundark Vida, lay of Volundar, i.e. Wayland the smith. These are connected with the hero Sigurd, Siegfried, recounting his youth, his marriage to Gudrun, his death, and the tragic fate of the Nibelungs. These lays are the oldest surviving poetic forms of the Germanic legend that forms the core that forms that forms the core of the great medieval German epic Nibelungenlied. These wonderful poems supply today's readers with most of what they need to know in order to understand and appreciate the beliefs, motivations and values of the Vikings. What does the word Edda mean? An early assumption was that the word Edda meant poetics, but one predominant view is that the word Edda used in one of the poems, the Riustula, means great-grandmother, or the source in my perspective. It is a reasonable guess that the years between 850 and 1050, so the majority of the Eddic poems worked into definite shape, but it must be remembered that many changes took place during the long subsequent period of oral transmission and also that many of the legends, both mythological and heroic, on which the poems were based existed in the Norse region and quite possibly in verse form long before the year 900. The poetic Eddas are the oral literature of Iceland. The poems are great tragic literature with vivid descriptions of the emotional states of the protagonists, gods and heroes alike. Women play a prominent role in the Eddic age and many of them are represented as skilled warriors. The Poetic Edda is a collection of some of the most remarkable poems preserved to us from the period before the pen and the printing press replaced the poet-singer and oral tradition. And above all else, the dramatic force, vivid and often tremendous imagery, and the superb conceptions embodied in these poems make the Poetic Edda a real treasure of poetry and inspiration at waging and winning your battles like a Viking warrior. And it is what this wonderful book taught me. J.R.R. Tolkien, among many other authors, was inspired by the Eddas in the writing of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And when I realized that this schizophrenia was draining my energy, I thought, no matter the attacks, I do not conceive of failure. So I have already won the battle. I only need to realize it now. Here and now, I should say. And I was able to re-energize my poetic inspiration and strength through reading the poetic Edda. I felt at home in these stories and battles of superhumans. Among these supernatural beings who were invincible and also very funny sometimes, who were simply the greatest warriors, I decided to become a berserker to destroy my enemy, and it worked. Odin's winged helmet became my protection against the voices, 
going near my spear that never misses its target. And I ended up having a blast, no matter the pain, at building my strategy of waging my own Viking battle against demons. It was a really profound and uplifting spiritual realignment of my energy to the source of the most sacred wisdom of war through poetry. Odin's wisdom, I realized, had always been present as my ultimate goal in my consciousness. Like my most ancient and profound existential ideal, and the only example I always strove at emulating even as a little girl and incorporating to my feminine strengths. Like a little girl who strives at resembling her father, the strongest, bravest, wisest and kindest man on earth, as if Odin had always been a father figure to me and the dark veil of the illusion of death had for a time hidden, only hidden his universal presence and power to my psyche. But learning to focus on and better channel my breath of life brightened up this darkened area of my consciousness and I realized that even death had not been capable of hiding the light of Odin's wisdom and strength to my heart's eye because confronted with the psychic battle of schizophrenia, he came to my rescue with a Viking guarantee of victory. From the center of my heart, I am eternally grateful to the Viking god of war and poetry, Odin. I feel that if I was to visit a very high mountain, which is a dream of mine, I would feel extremely happy, joyful and transported to the spiritual top of the mountain just by searching to discern its highest peak, to greet the mountain face to face and tell the mountain my admiration, my love and my gratefulness at having the absolute joy of being here and now to share a moment of love, light and universal harmony together. And I feel that from interacting with creation at such a level of perception and and energy conflagration from both our hearts, love or strength is ignited by the elevated breath and breadth of the scale of the interaction and communication. In such a situation, I feel, your heart probably ascends directly to the top of the mountain at the very second when your eyes discern its contours far away, so high in the sky, amidst the clouds, but at the same time so close to you, in your own eyesight, your field of vision and your own breath of life. Because you hear the mountain breathing and you breathe with the mountain, so you become the mountain in a way, and the mountain also becomes you. When your two breaths of life, your two life forces and energies merge and connect in the mind, and the mountain gives you strength, wisdom and centeredness in this merging of your two breaths. Your sense of vision probably ascends to the height of the mountain and you grow from just incorporating the mountain's presence into your heart's eye because it is your sense of perception which grows. And some of us, often the bravest, just follow their hearts to the physical top of the mountain. And I love this Zen Buddhist koan or principle which says, when you reach the top of the mountain, keep on climbing. To me, Odin, the Viking god of war and poetry, is a mountain of a man. His energy, strength and wisdom are equal to his universal love and similar to that of a mountain. Identifying with him truly charged my heart with real cosmic energy through love's memory and gratefulness, just through the heart and mind. And it made me realize that 
He had always been present in my psyche. I had just been estranged from this familiarity by death and a reincarnation very, very far from my source, I came to understand. But the minute I started reading the poetic Edda, my feelings of this ancestral familiarity with Scandinavian culture poured into my heart and consciousness like a great Swedish river I saw in a documentary one day while I was in Burkina Faso. This beautiful documentary about a river had a profoundly appeasing and soothing effect on me because the water seemed to be washing away my troubles that day. Later, when I left Burkina Faso, my own Viking strength got rekindled through the inspiring breath of my poetic source, as I call the poetic Edda, in my heart, and like never before in my life, I felt a sense of belonging inside the poetic and prophetic breath of these ancient Icelandic poems. Thus, it became possible for me to feel connected to Odin once again in my heart and psyche, like an unbreakable connection to a breathing mountain of a father figure whom I wanted to reach out to through my spiritual ascension. Because in our respective heart centers, I felt, we still share the same energy at the foundation of life, like the stars in the cosmos that Yggdrasil, the world tree and center of the universe in the poetic Edda and in Viking cosmogony is made of. Yggdrasil is Odin's sacred tree. Therefore, in universal truth, I realized we would always share the same heart and center made out of love, light, and universal harmony through the invincibility of our breath of life as valiant and vibrant in poetry as in war because a poet at peace is as free as a bird embracing and exploring an endless horizon of emotions and feelings but a poet at war fights to defend the very concept of freedom of poetic expression and to safeguard our conception of a universe of poetic order and harmony and this is why the poet's horizon is so liberating. And I will share a few poems about my poetic horizon with you. They're all dedicated to Odin, the Viking god of war and poetry. Ideal love. My love is my ideal. River, he flows in music and the starry flowers in his oniric breath scintillate on the waves of his astral faith. He gathers notes with sweetly perfumed accents in the blooming gardens of his honesty and in the soft rain of his melancholy. His humor is as blue as his lightness when the harps of our love come to rest on the beach of golden waves inside of my heart to play the lullabies in emotion lays that quench the thirst of my Saharan heart, like the dew of my befriended dawn, rekindling the smile of this desert rose, my soul and my garden. I met him in a dream of light, beyond this world or at its end, and together we sang pearly praises to the sea, the clouds, the fields and flowers, in the eternal poem of our blossoming love, 
and under the arches of joy in summery hues, we sheltered our armors, swords, and shields to taste the starry kisses of this truce and glide on love's most colorful rainbow in the watercolor painting of a paradise illuminated by a water sun. While we walked in the footsteps of Odin and Freya. The most beautiful gardener. What a beautiful gardener he must be. Golden like the sun, blue like the sky, rose like the most gentle flowers. What a beautiful gardener he must be. Strong yet gentle like a silver birch, light like a soft caressing breeze in an orchard at dusk. How beautiful his hands in the beautiful earth planting seeds of love with joy and music on his brow, in his heart, in his eyes, on his tongue and lips, at the tips of his fingers, his graceful fingers, brushes of light painting children's smiles with Gaia as his canvas, children's smiles sparkling like fluffy clouds of happy lambs, hopping down emerald slopes, inspired, guided, and loved by the most beautiful shepherd, chiming out heavenly streams of music from his magical flute. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. His graceful fingers in the beautiful earth, painting children's smiles like the notes of a pastoral symphony from his angel heart on a cosmic piano of planets and stars. How ethereal and supple his movements, like fiery aqua floating, dancing, gliding about, around and down the adamantine boughs of a poet's liquid tree, a water being of poetry. How generous his hope for the growth and efflorescence of his garden. And as the Bible says, you reap what you sow, then how beautiful his harvest. Art. The earth is the garden. Time is the fruit. The sky is memory. Faith is love. And happiness is harmony. When the language is art, the art of loving you every day in a poem. And the last poem I will share with you today is I will kiss you. I will kiss your eyes, your smile and your voice like I caress the sky, the clouds, the sun, the highest mountains, the sea, the moon, and the stars. And my butterfly heart, as light as a song, will taste while singing the flowers and the fruits, the dew and the rain of the infinite love in full bloom upon your lips, your mouth, my musical rose, my eternal garden of your love divine, my everything, my paradise.
So this is the end of my sixth episode. I thank you from the center of my heart for your presence and I wish you love, light and universal harmony. Fluffy, sparkly, iridescent, rainbow cloud kisses and hugs to all of you and particularly to Arden. Thank you so much. Namaste.